Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Gilt. So when it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy. And even if you're already filed, being proactive about this year to lower your future liability is so important. Gelt actually provides a proactive approach to tax strategy, combining innovative technology and expert CPAs by creating personalized tax strategies for your unique financial needs of multiple revenue streams, M&As, restricted stocks, various investments and more. You can keep your hard-earned money. Our, their proprietary platform ultimately gives you the full transparency of your tax management and direct communication with your CPA to reach your financial goals and grow for your wealth faster. So again, you know, if you're interested in this, go to joingelt.com. Uh, and they are actually on the show notes that I'm going to be posting a very special offer for you all that you can actually enjoy. So again, you know, join Gelt. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So super excited. Today we have two brothers, two brothers, co-founders. You know, they're really building a rocket ship there in Brazil. And we're going to be learning a lot about agriculture, blending in with banking. You know, again, building, scaling, financing, all of that good stuff that we like to hear. So without further ado, let's welcome our guests today, Andre and Alan Glesser. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. So, so guys, let's do a little of a walk through memory lane here. So let's say, let's g g give, me a, give me a sense of how was life growing up there in Brazil? Why don't we start with you, Alan? Yeah, sure. So basically, I came from like an engineering background. I was born here in Sao Paulo. I studied engineering at school, mechatronics engineering. And then I moved to the financial markets, started my career working for a local hedge fund here in Sao Paulo. Then I was transferred to Singapore in Asia. So I had a very good experience living in Singapore and covering the markets in the Southeast Asia region basically invest in credit structure, basically structured credits in Southeast Asia. Then I moved back to Brazil back in 2011. I spent like a few years working on the sales side here in Brazil, covering metals and mining, pulp and paper. So basically a good experience working on the sales side, covering commodities. Then I move again to the buy side. I work for hedge funds here in Brazil, two other hedge funds in a more startup kind of style of hedge funds. And then we decided to start Agroland a very unique model of creating a digital bank for the agribusiness sector in Brazil, combining my knowledge and res knowledge and the knowledge of other like five, three co-founders to create a very unique model here for us. And we'll, we'll talk about that in, in just a little bit. You know, I'm wondering, you know, like for the two of you guys, you know, how was, how was life, you know, like they're being born and, and raised in Sao Paulo. I mean, anyone in the family that was an entrepreneur or, or how did they say, you know, but come about. And maybe, Andre, why don't, why don't you jump in here? Yeah, so like our our family, uh, they, they had businesses. So our, our parents were in the textile industry. Uh, my father started a, a retail and industry that used to manufacture pants, jeans, basically. So so he used to be an entrepreneur, uh, more for lack of alternatives than for, for for seeing an opportunity here. So, but that's it. I think that's that's what we have as entrepreneurship in our in our family. 
I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. Alan, you know, as well, you know, why don't you jump in here and and tell us how was that experience of seeing, you know, let's say your dad, you know, operating the business and going through the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur as well. Yeah, that's a very good point because back in the old days here in Brazil, we had like a lot of volatility in the country. So we had like a massive inflation. The politics like changing every day. So our father was an entrepreneur at that time where we had like a lot of volatility, like the scenario changing every day. They kind of like block all the money in the bank accounts. So it was a very unique scenario. So we saw like our father building a business under like a very, very volatile kind of environment. So it was very unique to see and watch him like operating under those conditions, very stressful conditions. But he managed to still keep like a very nice pace, be like calm, be with us in a very nice way. It's very unique for us to watch that kind of like construction of like a company over that time. Now, in your case, Andre, you know, very similar to Alan, you know, also from the financial service space, you know, which is what what you ended up going after. Uh, but, you know, in this case, you know, more on the investment banking, you know, advisory as well as private equity. I guess from having, you know, that experience, especially as an investment banker, you know, seeing M&A transactions, helping on capital raising efforts. What were some of the patterns that you were able to see from companies that had what, you know, they needed, what it took versus the ones that didn't? Uh, that's, that's a very good question. I think one of the most important part of having a, a good business is a, is a team of founders, a team of leaders with, with complementary skills. So in order to build a company, a durable company with sustainable competitive advantage and, and nice margins, you have to be able to perform in several different areas. So I think one of the most important aspects that we saw in companies in investment banking and, and why I was an investor at a private equity was the profile of the founders, the profile of the leading team, and if they were complementary, if they were multidisciplinary. I think that's that's one of the most important aspects that I saw while in my previous previous career. Now, after you know all that investment banking, that private equity experience, all of a sudden you know things come together and AgroLend comes to life. So, what was that process like, Alan? You know, like walk us through what was. Who called who? Who came up with the idea? And what was that journey of getting the five co-founders to jump in? Yeah, Andrea was the first one that saw the opportunity. He used to work for like a private equity firm here in Brazil, focusing in the agribusiness sector. So basically, there was a thesis of consolidation of retailers in the ag input space here in Brazil. But the real problem was not the consolidation and a unique brand behind the retailers. It was actually the lack of a proper bank focusing in that kind of niche. So we decided to put together our knowledge here, Andre, with a very strong knowledge in the agribusiness sector and the M&A spectrum here in Brazil. Myself, good knowledge on the credit space and also analyzing commodities. Then we had Valeria, very strong knowledge from like a compliance and legal background. She's actually a lawyer. Then we had Leopoldo Vettor, tech guy, very good knowledge of developing tech inside the regulated entity by the Brazilian Central Bank. And then we brought Carlos, the agribusiness guy. He, he was doing credit in the sector for a long time. So that's how we managed to put together this amazing team of co-founders to tackle this massive problem. We are talking about 30% of the Brazilian GDP in the agribusiness sector. Brazil is a global leader in the production, exports, and the cost 
so it's a very important sector that was lacking a proper digital bank to address its needs. But the idea originally came from André that was investing in the sector and had a brilliant eye to spot this very unique opportunity for us. So what was that uh, moment, uh, André, like when you spot this opportunity and you were like, my God, I got to make those four phone calls to get those people to join me? Yeah, it was basically when I was at the fund, like we were trying to invest in the agricultural space in Brazil. Uh, and the idea was never to invest in farms, but to invest in, in the supply chain or in the value chain of the farms, because that was growing quite fast. Uh, and there were spaces where you could reach much higher returns than, than farming businesses. But when we look to the supply chain, all the companies, like the industries that used to manufacture chemicals, seeds, fertilizers, and, and also their distribution channels, the retailers that sold to the millions of farmers in Brazil, all those companies that we wanted to invest, they had the same problem. And, and even though they were very nice growing businesses, all of them, they had to finance their end clients. So like they were industries and retailers carrying one-year payment receivables terms uh, because they were financing the crops for the farmers. And, and that, that was caused because there was a lack of a bank. So as farmers didn't have a bank to provide credit for them, uh, uh, the responsibility for doing that, it was passed to the supply chain industries, to the retailers and the suppliers of agricultural inputs to the farmers. And that was a very bad problem because when you look at those companies, even though they were growing, they were not generating cash. The free cash flow was very low because all the money was being sucked up into their receivables, into working capital. Uh, and it was a problem for the fund. We decided to not invest in any of those companies, uh, given given this whole situation. Uh, and as, as I kept seeing this happen again and again and again in all the companies in the segment, uh, uh, we had the idea, even still at the fund, so if that's the problem, we should invest in a bank, in an agricultural bank. So let's start searching for a bank in the Brazilian segment uh, who is solving or trying to tackle this problem. Uh, and there was basically no one. So it was impossible to find any company, any financial institution trying to solve this specific problem. And, and then we had the idea. I think we started discussing. We saw that this is a big, big problem. The problem is, was going to grow. So as Brazilian agricultural industry grows, this specific problem was growing even more. So, so then we had the idea to let's jump, stop everything that we're doing, and, and let's start a company to solve this very specific problem. And 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 you were alluding to it, you know, the fact that you guys are five co-founders. I mean, five co-founders is quite the number. So I guess, say, Alan, how do you guys go about managing egos eh, so that you guys, you know, are able to really work, you know, in, in parallel and do things effectively? I guess each of us has like a very unique skills and very unique knowledge about a specific part of the business. As we are building like a digital bank, for the agribusiness sector, we need like a knowledge from like a tech perspective. We need a knowledge from the agribusiness perspective. We need a knowledge from like a compliance legal perspective. We need knowledge from like financial markets. So let's say we balance ourselves very properly to avoid, let's say, going into another's, another founder's area of knowledge, as we know that the other founder has a better knowledge. For instance, Valeria has a great knowledge about compliance and the legal aspect of the business. So we, can, we respect very much her knowledge about that area and we don't interfere 
with her opinion on that side. So that's how we balance the ego. So we are splitting ourselves in order to create the first ever digital bank in the sector here in Brazil. And you need this mix. But you are correct. Like, no, you have to, you need some kind of like, no conflict to disrupt the market. So this mix of very multidisciplinary kind of like backgrounds creates some kind of like conflicts, but they help us to create like a disruption for this market. But this is, this is how it's working for us. So, Andre, why don't you jump in here for the people that are listening to really get it? What ended up being the business model of AgroLand? How do you guys make money? Oh, perfect. So, we work like exactly like a bank. So, our business model is we lend to farmers, to small and medium-sized farmers, at a rate close to 23% per year. So, that's, that's how we make money. We're providing loans to these farmers, charging 23% per year interest rates. We don't go direct to farmers, so we have a distribution channel. We have a network of agricultural inputs retailers uh, who are on a day-to-day basis selling seeds, fertilizers, chemicals to these farmers. And these companies, they bring the clients to us. So, when a farmer goes to the store to buy any any of those products, the store is going to push the farmer, introduce the farmer to Agroland, engage the farmer to get a loan with us. Uh, if the farmer wants uh, and is approved by our credit model, uh, he signs our loan agreement. Everything is digital. Everything runs through his mobile, through the WhatsApp. Uh, after the loan signed, we send the money not to the farmer, we send the money to the retailer. The retailer gives the farmer the products, and the farmer is going to pay us back, pay the loan back post-harvest. So the average duration of the loans is close to eight, nine, ten months. That's the normal harvest time that that we finance. So so this is half of the business. This is the asset side of the business. Then we have the liability side of the business, the other half. So how do we get money, cheap money? to back these loans. So we land at 23. We do the funding at close to 13% per year. That's the basic, the current basic interest rate, risk-free rate in Brazil. So we are a financial institution. We are regulated by the Brazilian Central Bank. And we have a license that allows us to raise time deposits, like CDs. And these CDs, these time deposits, uh, they are guaranteed by the local FDIC. So we have an organization called FGC in Brazil, and they guarantee deposits, time deposits, up to 250,000 reais. So like something close to $50,000. So we issue these time deposits as they are guaranteed. We decreased a lot of our cost of funding. And on top of that, as we are financing farmers, we have a specific type of time deposit called LCA, LCA. And this time deposit, it's also tax-free for the investor. He doesn't have to pay income tax on the income on this time deposit. So we are able to decrease materially our cost of funding. And again, we like a lot the B2B2C model. So we don't have distribution to retail investors. That's not our model. What we do is we raise what we call broker deposits. So we sell deposits to like platforms, investment platforms, something equivalent to a Charles Schwab, to a TD in the US. We sell the deposit to these massive companies who have millions of clients in Brazil, and they resell the time deposits to their 
client base, the retail client base. So with that, we can raise money close to 13, 13.5% interest rate per year. We land at 23 and we have this 10% net interest margin. After that, we pay for non-performing loans. We have losses as any credit business. We pay for our whole company and, and we expect to end the year around 5 6% as a total net return over our asset asset base. So this is the model, raise cheap capital, land at a higher interest rates and, and cover our NPL and operating expenses. And that's that's how we run the business. Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by .tech Domains. I mean, I can tell you one thing, and that is that as a founder, you're always thinking about branding. Now, one thing that is very important in that, you know, is that you need traction, you need to grow, you need to succeed. And having a name that is recognizable on a really amazing domain is the way to go. So that is why it's very important to establish the online presence with a clear and distinguishable identity. And you can do that with .tech domains. So .tech domains are the go-to namespace to build anything in tech. They have actually helped many brands in the industry to make a name for themselves, just like OneX.tech with their advanced Androids designed to replicate human movements and behaviors. So really, really, really cool stuff and cutting edge. And again, thousands of companies like this, you know, are also taking advantage of .tech domains. So uh, also remember that .tech domains can do the same, you know, for your company. They're also providing a great offer to every single one of you in the DealMakers audience. Is one-year domain for $10 and a five-year domain for $50. So head now to the special URL, which is go.tech slash DealMakers. And that is, again, go.tech forward slash DealMakers. So go get your own domain. Now, you guys are trailblazers here because, as you were saying, you know, like you guys are merging the banking side of the, the banking side with the agriculture side. But you were the first ones to do this. So, you know, obviously part of the challenge, too, is not only educating yourself, but being able to educate, you know, future employees, being able to educate, you know, investors, you know, and, and anyone else. So how did you guys go about doing that, Alan? Yeah, something that is very important for us is the diversification of the portfolio. So everyone that is joining the company understands that we have to diversify our portfolio of loans. So for instance, we have more than 1,000 farmers. A single farmer doesn't represent more than 0.5% of our portfolio. We have more than 100 active retailers helping us to originate loans. The biggest one is like around 8% of the portfolio. We have presence in like 15 states. A single state is not representing more than 20% of our exposure. And we have some large exposure to soybean crops here in Brazil, but still like around 60%. And this is manageable. So for us, managing risks is very important for our culture. And we try to tell everyone that is joining the company that diversification is the most important mitigation of the risk. So that's how we work here. And we try to teach everyone that risk is the most important metric for a bank and it must be well managed. So Andre, what was the journey of raising money? Because you guys have done several rounds. How much capital have you guys raised to date and how has it been the experience? Yeah. 
So we are a, we are still a young company, so we are two years and a half old. So we have raised up to date three rounds, a seed round, a series A and a series B, and we have raised close to $43 million. So our seed round was one and a half million dollars, one one $1.6 million. And it was more like a family and friends round. So we brought in close to 30 investors, including four institutional investors, but it was a small investment for, for all of them. So it was a complex round, given the number of investors, but we were able to bring a lot of people that, who we care, who we liked, and who helped us to, to start the company from scratch. So, so that was really in the early days, so two months after we founded the company, we raised that round. Then we raised a Series A round of $14 million with a leading venture capital company in Brazil, who is actually based in the U.S., called Valor Capital. And, and then in, in late last year, we raised a Series B of $27 million, which was led by Lightrock, a very large growth equity fund who only invest in profitable and, and already proven companies. And, and also, we invited a lot of corporate venture capital firms uh, to invest in that round as well. So now we have a very pulverized capital base with well-known investors who help us a lot. So, so that, that's, that's the history up to date. We continue to raise capital. So we like to think that we are in a capital-intensive business model. Even though we are profitable, we need a lot of capital to grow the business that, that we are running. And, and we, like, we like to say always that the, all, all the time that we have raised money, we always like to tell our whole history to the investors. So after that, we finish raising the Series B round, we have already started to raise the Series C. So now we have a list of close to 50, 60 investors who we think would lead our Series C round. We expect to raise a Series C round by the end of the year. Uh, and we, already, we are already telling the investors the history of the company and what we're going to do in the next few months, the next, in the next six, seven months before we go after them to really raise that, that round, raise that capital. So, so that's it. That's, that's, that's how we have done up to date. And typically, I mean, a company would raise a round every 18 to 24 months. I mean, here it sounds like you guys are like, Going very fast. So when it comes to running an effective fundraising process, what have you guys learned, Alan? It's important to tell the investors about the movie. So if they only see like one picture, they don't get it. So we tell them we are at point A, we want to go to point B. Then we get to point B. From point B to point C. They must understand that we deliver. We tell them what are the plans. We deliver the plans. This is very important. And in addition to that, being like a profitable company, very unique unit economics, clear path to profitability, and the combination of clear path to profitability, and the fact that we are, we've been delivering. We tell them we go from point A to point B, we go to point B. There's no change of plans. So I think those are important factors that have like helped us to bring the confidence of the investors and raise the rounds. And also you have about 50 investors. So, I mean, that's a lot of investors. So how do you go about managing them in a way in which integrity is present, in which trust is present as well, so that they can continue to support the company as you guys continue to execute, Andre? 
I think people, the investors that we have, they trust a lot about us. And basically because we are always doing what we say that we are going to do. So people have built a lot of trust in how we execute about the company. We have a board of investors, so which were the largest investors participate. Maybe the five largest institutional investors that we have join our monthly board meetings where we provide a more structured update about the company and, and how the business is performing. And we also provide to the whole 50 investors uh, a month, a monthly, but a quarterly email update. Uh, and we also do an annual investors meeting with, with all the investors that want to join. Uh, and we send an annual letter with much more details about the company. So so that that's how we do. I think we, we try to update everyone on on not a, or either on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis with how the business is progressing uh, and people are very comfortable with that with this model so imagine in a world where you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up and in that world you know the vision of agroland is fully realized what does that world look like alan I believe that the agribusiness sector in Brazil is massive, as I mentioned, like no one-third of the Brazilian GDP. We estimate that the market size today, in terms of like outstanding loans in the sector, we are talking about $100 billion, or like 500 billion reais. If we had like a market share of like 5 10% of this amount, so let's say between, let's say, 50 billion reais of loans in the sector, with like a very profitable model. I think this is a great vision. So we've built like the one and only digital bank in the agribusiness sector with like a massive portfolio market share between five to 10% of the market and very profitable. And we're running a very slim model, very slim team, profitable, relevant market share, and running in a way that is like smooth, always counting on our partners B2B2C model both ways, big business, very profitable. So for us, profitability is the key here, and it's our dream to be profitable and big. So that's the combination that we have here as like our vision for the future. Andre, would you like to expand on that? I think on top of that, like our whole vision is now we do credit. And we have one specific credit product. I think when we look many years into the future, we want to become a more complete bank offering much more financial solutions to our clients. So on top of credit, we plan to offer credit cards, checking accounts, uh, insurance products. So basically our farmers can buy insurance to crop risks and, and other kind of risks hedging solutions to our clients to protect again against downturns in soybean prices in exchange rates so we see ourselves now we do credit to farmers in the future we want to have a massive client base maybe 50,000 clients and offering a whole complete set of innovative financial solutions uh, on top of our tech platform which basically help us to serve a massive amount of clients in a very easy and simple way with a low cost structure that makes us very profitable so so that's our long term vision really building a digital bank to farmers in Brazil as they, and, and now we go to their vision, like to how we see the agribusiness industry in Brazil, as they grow, as our clients grow, 
We want to be there alongside our clients as they continue to grow, continue to invest, and Brazil continue to dominate the worldwide agricultural industry. And, you know, obviously building a company is not is not easy. Uh, you know, obviously, in this case, you have additional uh, uncertainty that you're dealing with. I mean, not only the fact that you guys are building a hyper growth business, but then also the fact that you're building this in Brazil and also you're dealing with the regulatory you know, hurdles as well of, of, of building a digital bank. So so how do you guys, you know, think, you know, in this case about reducing the risk on the path that you have in front of you? Uh, Alan, why don't you jump in on this one? I think that we are building the risk with a very conservative pace. So it's not like an exponential growth. We go all in and we kind of like lend all the money that we can. We are trimming the growth in order to be conservative and we have a chance of learning on the way. So basically we are going in a pace that is comfortable to us and we can adjust the path along the way. So this has been very important so far. So we are not going the maximum risk that we can, and we're going to be more conservative in terms of leveraging our financial institution, because we understand that, as you mentioned, there are many uncertainties. There could be like regulatory uncertainties, weather, climate kind of uncertainties, price of commodities uncertainties. So we have like many different kind of like sources of volatility. So for us, it's better to keep a pace that is not the max pace that we can support, but it's a pace that we can adjust the path along the way and make sure that we don't make mistakes that are not revertible here. So that's the strategy for managing the pace and the risk of our model. Now, imagine you had the opportunity. Let's say I put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time. I bring you back in time to that moment that, you know, maybe you guys were thinking about doing something. And let's say, you know, I have the opportunity of, 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 of giving you that chance of, of sitting the two of you with your other co-founders or just maybe just the two of you because maybe you, you didn't, you know, know your co-founders yet. And let's say one of you has the opportunity or the two of you have the opportunity of giving that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now, Andre? And that's a very good question. I think there's just one thing that I would change if I could go back in time. I think when we, uh, I, I would start it earlier. I think we, we had the idea, we, we, we have seen the situation, the problem, we had to see how we would structure the company. And, and then we started, I, I think it took us close to six months to really start the company. We tried some things to, to work part-time and, and not full-time developing the company. We tried to maybe decrease the risk of starting a business. Uh, and then we learned that that was impossible. And, and if we wanted to do the business, we would have to go full time and, and really take the risk and build the business. So maybe we lost six months, seven months in this in this uh, bad start. And then when we fully started the business, the business really worked. Uh, and, and then we started growing the business. So if I could change one thing, I think I would have built the business the same way that we did. I would just have started six months earlier and not lost this initial initial time. And Alan, what, you, what would you tell your younger self? 
I agree with Andrea, of course. Like, no, that's a very good point. But my point would be about people. Make sure you bring like great people that can challenge you, that are smarter than you, that will go like, you know, to the limit and make sure that they challenge you to the limit. So building a company is also about building a great team that can, you know, address the problems the best way possible. So bringing great people would be my advice to my younger self. I think that we've been following this, but I, I cannot, like, you know, forget to mention this because this is very important. And I think it's like a key for the success here was to bring a great group of people with like very complementary and different kind of like, you know, multidisciplinary backgrounds that combined created a very disruptive model for us. So it's about people. So for the uh, talking about people, for the people that are listening that would like to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so, Andre? I think the best channel that we use to communicate with clients and, and the whole network is using LinkedIn. I think we, we, we do a lot of marketing on LinkedIn and, and like we build a lot of content to, to talk to people, to engage our audience, our clients, our investors and, and, and everyone in Brazil, especially. But that's the best channel to talk to us. I think we're always there talking to, to the whole community. Wonderful. Well, easy enough. Well, Andre and Alan, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Pleasure on our side as well. Great. Thanks a lot, Alejandro. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks very much for inviting us. I think it was great. One of the best shows that we have, that we have ever uh, participated in. Thanks. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.